by the wood pile. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. So it's Christmas time again, and for me, I always associate Christmas music with the recordings done back in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Well, I know of no one better to talk about some of the treasures from this time period than musicologist Dirk Allman. I asked our old friend to pick out a few of his favorites to talk about, and in addition, Mr. Allman tells of his own recent Christmas miracle. Just how much I have lost 
Yes, I lost my little darling The night they were playing The beautiful Tennessee Well, that that's odd that the flip side would not be a Christmas song because, at least in my experience, like if they're going to do a certain kind of theme on one side, usually you'd have something similar on the other. Do you know anything, any reason why that was? I don't know. As, as best as I can figure, they just figured. The arts and repertoire department at Mercury Records just all Tennessee waltzes filler. Mm-hmm. We gotta put something on the flip side. We have a B side, and we'll just throw that on there. And the Boogie Woogie Santa Claus is gonna be the big hit. Right. And uh, but Tennessee waltz is what what the public preferred, and it was just being played on all the jukeboxes and radios. And uh, later they repressed Tennessee waltz, and instead of Boogie Woogie Santa Claus being on the flip side, they had the song Long Long Ago. So, the Archer Repertoire Department sure missed on that one, but it didn't hurt. They made a lot of money. Right. So what is the premise of the Boogie Woogie Santa Claus? I mean, are they adding some uh, stories to the canon of St. Nicholas that we didn't know about before? Well, that he's like this guy who lives up in the mountains. He never shaves. And, <laughs> uh, and he's just going to come on down from the mountains. It almost sounds like a, like, like, like a hillbilly song. Yeah. And he's just going to make everybody have a Boogie Woogie Happy Christmas Day. Something like that. Next song here, I can't find out too much on it, but uh, the Nat King Cole number that's not too remembered now, uh, a Christmas song called One Natale, D-U-O-N, that's good in Italian, and N-A-T-A-L-E, Natale, I guess like Navidad. Nativity of Christ, what Natalie. That's how you say Merry Christmas, especially in Italy. Oh, Natalie, a Merry Christmas to you. Natalie to everyone. Happy New Year and lots of fun. Stacking Cole, as you well know, was famous for the Christmas song. In fact, really that's about all most people remember now because if you could do a Christmas song that becomes popular and it's loved, it'll be dug out every year just like the Christmas tree and old ornaments and so everybody hears Nat King Cole doing a Christmas song written, which was written by Mel Torme. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos uh, He did his first version of it around 1946, thereabouts, for Capitol Records. And it's mentioned that it had a string choir backing him up. You know, those full lush orchestrations that later became popular in the 50s and 60s. And the version that everybody hears on the 24-hour Christmas station, the music of the, Christ, of the Christmas song, is the one that Nat King Cole recorded for Capitol in 1960. So most people are hearing the 1960 version. And so I'm offering this simple phrase 
kids from one to ninety-two. But this little ditty was called One Natale, and it's about a town in sunny Italy, and no clock has been wound for a century. And they don't know the time of year or even care. Christmas is celebrated all year long, and so the happy Italians are running around saying, One Natale, One Natale. And I figure the reason a song like this would be popular in mid-century America, I, I, I don't exactly, I couldn't find a date. I figured late 50s or thereabouts. As a lot of our soldiers in World War II had been overseas. They had fought Sicily, they fought in Italy against the Germans, and, you know, been in the South Pacific. So songs that depicted things a little more exotic than what you see in the United States were, of course, very popular. And I think that's how this song came about. It, it, it's in three-quarter time, and it's a nice, happy song. Far away across the sea, in sunny Italy, there's a quaint little town not a clock has been wound for over a century. That's interesting you say that about the exoticness. It seems like in the 50s, like Hawaii was a big subject matter. Uh, yes. Even uh, you know Mexican women. You know, there's several songs about my you know Mexican love, and of course they, the songs yeah. never end well. They always have to part ways. You know, exactly. It's funny that people uh, stereotype the '50s as being very conservative, but in a way that was pretty open. You know, or daring for the times, I guess. Means a merry Christmas to you. Now Mr. Allman strays out of the 1950s into the 70s to tell us about a country song that's appropriate for this time of year. Uh, back in the early 70s, or early mid-70s, 1973-74, charted number one on the country music Hot 100 chart in December of 73 and 74, and it was a song written by Merle Haggard. You know, Merle Haggard, that's country royalty, kind of one of the bad boys of of country, you know, like Johnny Cash, you know, Mama tried, you're on the fighting side of me, but I still love my country and I love Jesus and everything else. <laughs> yeah. And something like that. But he did, he recorded a song that's kind of a hybrid between a sad country song and a Christmas song because Merle Haggard never, himself never really considered any Christmas song. But it's called If We Make It Through December. If we make it through December. Everything's gonna be alright, I know It's the coldest time of winter And I shiver when I see the falling snow And it went number one in December 73 and then again in 74 And it's a Christmas song that deals with unemployment and loneliness He just got laid off at the factory you know, in December, which is, seems to be part of the American business model to lay people off at Christmas time. You know, the worst time they can do it, but it seems to happen a lot. Right. And there's a desperate optimism, a working class optimism, that hopefully by this time next year he'd be in a more sunny place, or maybe he'd be in California. A lot of people used to like to run there. It seems like a lot of people are running from California now. I see him coming to Charlotte and then he can't afford to live there anymore. But I guess 1973, 74 America, that would seem like a thing to do. 
but in the song where he's at, he's in a wintry climb, and he shivers when he sees the snowfall, and, and he can't get Christmas for daddy's girl. Got laid off down at the factory, and their timing's not the greatest in the world. Heaven knows I've been working hard. Wanted Christmas to be right for daddy's girl. I played this one all the time. And there was one guy, I was uh, at one of the deli I play at on Wednesday night. In fact, I'll be there tonight. I finally got a regular DJ job every Wednesday night. He said, I really want his heart when I played his favorite Christmas song, Merle Haggard, if we make it through December. Wow. So it was a big hit, you know, 40, over 40, 45 years ago. You just don't hear it much anymore. Okay, I consider this my personal favorite Christmas carol. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. I heard the bells. On Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Back in the mid-century, you could go to your bank, gas station, insurance office. And they would always, as part of their advertising, they'd hand out these Christmas carol books that had all the famous carols, like Jingle Bells and Angels Be Heard on High. And always there would be a copy of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, which you don't hardly hear anymore. Uh, very seldom is it played. But I, I love the song. It was written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He was born in 1807 in Portland, Maine, and he died in 1882. He was an American poet, educator, and uh, he wrote Song of Hiawatha, Paul Revere's Ride, and Evangeline. He studied, a, I never even know if I can get this name right, Baldwin, Baldwin, Baldwin College. Later became a professor there, and he called it Harvard. First wife died in 1835 of a miscarriage. And the second wife died after terrible burns she got from a candle she was supposedly she was it was 1861 she was trying to use candle wax to fill an envelope a rather common practice at the time and that some of the flame fell on her dress and she started catching on fire henry longfellow tried to save his wife and he he caught on fire it burned some of his face and he never could shave again one reason he always had the big beard and some of the older pictures of him in his later life his wife died, I think, the next day. Man. And he was in too much pain to even go to the funeral. Uh, later, he had a son, uh, Charles, who, against his wishes, in 1863, I think in March 14th, 1863, enlisted in the Union Army. And uh, he was a commissioned a lieutenant. Uh, but his son was injured in a battle in Virginia. I think the Battle of New Hope, Hope Church. When he did recover, he was out of commission as far as going back and fighting in the Civil War. So, all this is falling on Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. In fact, it's one of his most famous quotes is that to each life, some rain must fall, which I'm sure a lot of people heard it, didn't know that man who wrote it. <laughs> 
So his wife's dead. His son's severely injured, but survived. And after his wife died, he kind of sort of gave up writing poetry. He just really didn't have it in him anymore. He he wanted to do translations like of uh, Dante's uh, Inferno. He, 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 he translated into English. And he spent so much time doing that, he had something called the Dante Club where all these various luminaries would come visit his house and they'd talk about Dante. I mean, you can hardly imagine that now. And it was a four-volume set that was published and it was very popular. I can hardly see that happening now, but I guess in you know, mid-Victorian America it would. But, so he didn't write much poetry after his wife died, but he did write Christmas Bells. And it had a lot to do with the Civil War, you know, it's supposed to be Christmas, goodwill towards men, and yet this horrible war is going on, and all these people are dying. He published a poem in a young folks magazine in February of 1865, and there's several stanzas that reference the Civil War that aren't in the song anymore. Then a fellow named John Baptiste Culkin uh, set uh, Christmas Bells music in 1872, but you know, part of, you know, part of it goes up. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. They're old, familiar carols uh, play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. And then he goes on, and the uh, long fellow says, But in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, making reference to the Civil War. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And I think the last stanza goes, And then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, the peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And it almost kind of makes me choke up a little. And in despair I bowed my head There is no peace on earth I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Yeah, that's a tough song. I, I can see why they, they cut those verses from the versions we know now. Yeah, but it's like, you know, in the South, the cannons roars and things like that, and, and that the home sides were, you know, the home the harsh sides were being bereft of, you know, loved ones because they were dead on the battle. But uh, I think it's a very powerful uh, song because uh, it deals, you know, most people, you know, Christmas time, you know, they want to be holly jolly and, you know, the fantasy of Rudolph and no man and all that. But I'm not against. I mean, I like that stuff. Uh, Christmas during Civil War time, I just, I don't even know if we can imagine it because it was being fall on our own soil. Right. had to be very horrible. And also, this Longfellow also, I think he volunteered to be a nurse in some of the hospitals. And, and you know, he was seeing the wounded soldiers and everything. And all that had to take a toll on him. He wrote this, and I think it's quite a legacy to leave behind. Uh, you know, we've been kind of at war here ever since 9-11 and so forth. And there's a lot of disturbance in the world. I, I guess there always is. But uh, this song should be sung more than it is. And finally, well, now this song is not unknown. 
but maybe the story behind it is, and that's Silent Night or Steely Knox in, in German. Silent Night. Oh. ask you about something personal that was a bit of a Christmas miracle and I think as uh, yeah. you I guess you were having some problems was it paying your taxes is that what it was yes yes the property taxes um, the Charlotte we're in the top 10 growing cities Charlotte North Carolina is and we're like number four and this is a great place if you were into I don't know IT tech there's Microsoft here that's kind of like the top 40% of society. And, you know, if you're in the tech world, things are working out wonderful for you. If you're kind of in the humanities world <laughs> or a generalist world like me, well, I might have done better like Mr. Longfellow back in the 19th century, but that's been a long time ago. I took care of mother for about 10 years here, and it was, uh, all I can say is it was rough. The elder care crisis is exploding, and when the boomers start getting old, the poor millennials just don't know what's getting ready to hit. Uh, I, I was keeping mama whale hair. I got her through colon cancer, uh, broken neck from an auto wreck. Uh, and there were diabetic episodes in the middle of the night where I had to wake her up and, uh, you know, try to get a Coca-Cola or something in her before I had to call the ambulance to get her to the emergency room. And years of that can take quite a toll on you. But my mother died. She didn't leave any life insurance. She left the house, thank God. And uh, But then there was like no money to make repairs or things, and I had to leverage debt to try to get certain things going. I had water coming through the roof. Uh, I was up in the attic with mom and old mixing bowls trying to stop the 
water. And finally, I got somebody to work with my insurance company, and we managed to get the roof paid for. So that was three years ago. But uh, it's just... I feel like I'm trying to pack up things here and there. No sooner I pack up something, three things are blowing out somewhere else. And anyway, back in 2013, I was nearly foreclosed on for taxes because I owed them $1,400. Even though I'd brought them 1000 and every couple of weeks I would see the tax off and here's another $100. It wasn't like I was ignoring them. And I wake up one morning and there's an orange notice on my door back in 2013, spring of that year foreclosure we're going to take your house and everything your shoes your records for fourteen hundred dollars i'm thinking what kind of world am i living in wow so uh i had to go leverage credit cards anything to keep them off my back i found out later they probably wouldn't have thrown me out of the house in 24 hours so they, they would have taken their time messing with you but uh, sometimes i feel like we're the old roman empire uh when they used to just tax their citizens to death, and it got to the point the farmers didn't want to farm anymore. It just it didn't do any good to farm because Rome took everything. Right. Anyway, I was looking at another tax bill of around $1,800 and uh, thinking, oh, where am I going to try to borrow it this time? And, uh, and this gentleman came by here, and you know, Mark Kaufman. He's a runner, and he... He organizes a lot of run clubs. There's a lot of people in their 20s, 30s, maybe a little older. They get out early in the morning and they're out jogging, come what may with the weather. And, you know, they're very health conscious and all that. And uh, more so than I am. But he collected old things. And uh, he came by here one day, bought an old cooler from the 60s. And uh, he wanted to look at other things in the shed. And I asked Mr. Kaufman, I was just asking jokingly. Could you do a run to help me with the property tax? And I just figured it was just, and he took me seriously. Man. And he said, yeah, I can do it. And he started organizing with all these runners. And, uh, you know, they're all so young. They're all so buff and everything. You know, these <laughs> young men and women. I mean, I, I never was like that, and I doubt I ever will. We went out to Freedom Park. I think it was November 7th, on Wednesday, been raining so much, thank goodness it didn't rain that day. And Mr. Kaufman, Mark Kaufman, is so strong, he ran for 12 hours around that park from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m., 58 miles. Some of it was walked. Can you imagine doing 58 miles in one? No. In a 12 hour not, period. Not, I can't imagine doing 58 miles in a week, really. <laughs> he did it in one. In a 12-hour shift. And people came out there. He did some promotion. He knew people. And other people knew people. And um, there was a little video done about me. And I, I, I did a little write-up about my life. I told some of the things like I told you. I, 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 you know, I'm just one of these people that, even though my mother's been dead all these years, I, I just don't know. There's pieces of me that are kind of gone, and I'm just worn out from it. And, if you're trying to catch up with the present society, and, uh, and you may feel like you're getting a little left behind. Plus, I'm in my 50s and so forth. You know, there's that. But regardless, they did it. And in the meantime, since everybody wanted to meet me out there, I, you know, I got all dressed up and I brought my old phonographs and played an Edison phonograph. And, uh, and I had a had one from 1897. 
121 years old, little tiny Columbia cylinder player, and I was just playing old records out there. And I know there's some people from China came by, and they wanted to take pictures of it. Since I knew some Chinese students way back in the day, I could make me how my Tiki hung out. You can grade me on that if you used to work Very there. Very good. But, yeah. uh, and then somebody called the park police on me and thought I was out there selling things. Mm-hmm. Sitting out here with these big morning glory horn photographs. And uh, they said, well, you got to have a permit for this. I said, I'm not bothering anybody. They're just trying to help me out. But I had to put every bit of that stuff uh, back in the car. Not, not to have a problem with them. Oh boy, that was making me human mad. You know, in, in some ways, this has been the story of my life. I'm trying to do things like this, and little-minded people always want to put me, put, you know, put, put the light out. They raised the money, the eighteen hundred some odd dollars, I think a little more. And um, eventually, Mr. Kaufman, he met me the Monday before Thanksgiving. He just went down to the tax office and paid the bill. Wow. It gave me a reprieve. It bought me a little time. I've been out here hustling. It did, did seem to, you know, I thought it became like a little miniature call celeb. I don't know how long that lasted, but uh, people knew me a little better than it did. Because folks like me, there's not really people like me left around here in Charlotte anymore. Everybody's from someplace else. But, I mean, you know, that's progress. And, uh, increasingly, I feel like a man that kind of belongs to another era rather than this one. But I'm trying my best to integrate, you know, with the technology, and I listen to the millennials a lot about that. I've learned to get used to just about every, all kinds of things out there. I mean, last Halloween, I helped out a heavy metal band. (laughs) 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 It was hilarious. It was called Dumpster Service, and uh, it was just a guy with drums and a fellow who could play lots of rapid chords on a guitar. I know the guys, they're real funny and happy people. But they knew I had a good Halloween collection of memorabilia and records, and they just wanted me to play, you know, records between their sets. And actually, it just turned out wonderfully. One of the uh, band members was had a human-sized skeleton he was dancing with. It was just crazy. But, yeah, I'm getting used to all the exotic kind of situations that I'm ending up in. Part of that came from uh, somebody saw me at this deli that I'll be working at tonight, and he uh, runs a Harris Teeter grocery store. Well, not he doesn't run it, but he runs the bar. This is a new concept in grocery shopping. You can go sip wine while buying bread at the grocery store. Yeah, I think probably getting drunk and grocery shopping is probably good for their business, but go ahead. Yeah, that's what I figured, but <laughs> they have this nice bar, you know, wow. nice wood, and and it turns out people have become regulars instead of going to the dive bar or Joe Bob's bar. Well, they can go to Harris Teeter's and they can eat at the hot bar, get wine and beer and so forth. He says, I think they would enjoy what you do. And so I set up three card tables, you know, plugged in two old turntables. These are like the ones they used to public schools, audiotronic, you know, you carry them like suitcases. Yeah. And they're, they're built like tanks. You can't kill them. Anyhow, I just would sit there and play records for three hours or more. Most everything I play is pre-1963. I always say I'm pre-Beatles. Anyway, they loved what I did uh, because it was easygoing music. And that made people stay at the bar and buy more food and buy more drinks. Good. And that I wasn't offensive. 
mean, you're at a grocery store, you know, that there's kids in strollers. You don't want to be saying horrible things. I mean, you know, in some of these other places, these little venues, I guess you could do that. I, I don't, I'm always family friendly. Right. And with the music I play, it's easy to do. Well, it's something as a school bus driver. I'll hear little kids like sing some song that I guess is on the radio because I've kind of given up on pop music, and I'm kind of horrified by the stuff that's coming out of their mouths. They don't realize what they're saying, but I really wish yeah. these record companies would uh, fathom what they're doing to young people. But anyway, that's a side thing. Uh, if folks want to get a hold of you, I would assume that Facebook is the best way. It seems to be because I have a landline phone and it's eating up with people calling me saying I'm in trouble with the IRS and they're calling from India. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You said you're popular in India and Pakistan. That's that's nice. And it's not like I get these calls. You are going to jail. <laughs> you didn't pay your taxes. Either. They don't call you for uh, DJ gigs from Pakistan. No, that'd be a long way for me to walk. <laughs> you tell good stories on Facebook. I mean, you write. You're a writer, you can tell. You're not just writing like two or three lines. So I think if folks are interested in what you're doing in the, in the subject matter and the stuff that you are collecting, they should find you on Facebook. And your, of course, name is spelled uh, D-I-R-K. Is it A-L-L-M-A-N? Is that right? Yeah, like the Almond Brothers band. Right. I, I may be a distant relation. They were Tennessee branch of almonds. Uh, not that I'd ever been invited to Greg's house for... <laughs> supper or anything of course he's dead now but uh you did used to date share at one time that's correct right oh boy <laughs> jimmy carter was president <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well hey uh, thank you for your time okay well <laughs> i kind of wandered all over the place no that's okay mother jesus she was wandering around that night Again, if you'd like to know more about either old-timey stuff or Mr. Allman himself, you might also check out In the Corner Back by the Woodpile, episode 44, where Dirt talks old-timey Halloween songs. Also, episode 122 is a good one, where another musical professor, Randy Staley, talks the careers of jazz greats Jelly Roll Morton, Benny Moten, and Louis Armstrong. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile, it's produced by... A closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by looking up Spun Counter Guy. If you want to say hi or send us nasty words, you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. And you can find this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and podbean.com. We'll see you on the flip side. Mm-hmm.